The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is the Dealer Playbook. You know, one of my biggest regrets producing the Dealer Playbook is all of the pre and post conversations that never get recorded. So yeah. many laughs, so much fun. Nonetheless, I'm sitting down with my man, Kyle Mountseer. He is a partner at Asodu.com, which you definitely need to uh, check out. He's the chief nerd of things is I think the way that we're going to describe you and 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 I like uh, man, of things of things <laughs> yeah chief nerd of things it's an official title moving into the 21st century in the metaverse perfect um thanks so much for joining me on the dealer playbook yeah glad to be here I've uh, I've I've been a longtime follower and uh mainly a fan of your audacious claims on LinkedIn and and the way that you create conversations on there because I feel like you just you just call out everyone, but in a really, really kind way. So it's 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 good. It's good to be around and and actually uh, being able to consider you a friend uh, as of as of recent, which is really cool. So yeah. Well, and you know, and I and I'm glad to to finally have connected with you in a much more meaningful way and, and start building this friendship. Um, I think you know it doesn't happen very often, especially in. You know, I think what we could characterize sometimes as a shark tank industry, there's a lot of competitive nature and things of that nature. But every now and again, you cross paths with someone who you're like, man, we're like, we're so similar minded and we're, we're moving in the same direction. And, and so it's been really cool just opening the door with you and Paul at Asodu and, and the dealer playbook to be like, okay, there's synergy here. Let's, let's amplify this thing. Let's get this message out. Um, yep. and so, I guess my first my my first question I want to ask you is maybe tell us a little bit more about Asoda. We got Paul's take. I'm interested in your perspective. What what made you guys want to do this? What's the what's the mission that you guys are on with Asodu? Well, yeah. So I mean, obviously, Paul started Asodu uh, back in the early stages of the pandemic, and and it was really his you know his load to bear and his mission and his vision. And I I had been I followed it. I was a part of the first live stream, watched it right. Uh, but early on in my automotive career, I, I, I remember, I'll never forget. I was listening to, uh, pa my pastor at the time in Florida, in Pensacola, Florida. And there was this moment where he was explaining something and I can't remember the, really the context. It's a slightly irrelevant once you, mm -hmm. once you hear it, but essentially the, the, the stick was this, you know, people that lie and people that are hated, like lawyers, tax collectors, and used car salesmen, right? And at that point, I was granted at a franchise dealership selling new and used cars. And I was like, uh? and it hit me real wrong. Cause so I was like, no, that's not, I'm not classified in there. And not just that, but that probably means that there's a lot of people in those first two categories that aren't right. classified in there. And ever since then, I mean, I, I went up to him immediately and was like, we got to reclassify that. And that can never come out of your mouth again, <laughs> dude, 
legitimately i was leading worship at this church right like i'm the guy singing and playing guitar right. at the front of the church and he's like you know used car salesman those jerks right <laughs> so that's my day job right mm -hmm. and so at that moment i realized wow there's a perception of this industry that is so deep that someone can be sitting in front of you and that's their day job and you still call it out that way and so for the past you know, however many years that is, 10 years since that, well, 11 years since that happened, it's been a part of my mission to, to shift that, to shift that when I was selling cars, when I was at the last dealership I was at. And so then fast forward to, you know, about a year ago now when Paul and I really started communicating and talking after we had met, um, you know, probably five months after he started a SODU, that it was that it was really clear early on that that we were on kind of a crash course to to do that together to to draw a big circle as we say around the industry bring more people together create more conversations that are leading to the shift in the culture and perception of the automotive industry um so that that all kind of led together and then all of a sudden we had this big event in vegas uh at digital dealer in Vegas. Mm -hmm. And we came out of that with, with the, with this 30,000 foot view that our friend Darren Doan gave us. And it was like, wow, you, you are creating something that can, that can be the center point for people that are talking the same way. It's kind of, we got on the phone with you and you're like, right. man, I just realized there's, there's a, there's a, there's a landing place for me with other people that are thinking, doing, and, and talking about the same things. Yeah. And so we just decided to put a stamp on it and formalize it. Yeah, I love it. And and I love, you know, Paul Paul kind of said it in in different language but really paints a visual to what you're saying here. He's like, you know, when we met, my admission to you guys was like, dude, I've been doing this for so long, I thought I was alone in the woods. Mm. And all of a sudden, a beacon on a hill lights up and that lights up another and you start realizing, no, there's more of us. So I love the way you articulated, let's draw a circle around this thing and and bring and be inclusive of so many people that are thinking the same thing, but maybe just needed a landing spot for it. I love the way that you say that. I got to see firsthand how the machine of a SODU works. You guys are uh, a bunch of crazy people. Uh, in a really good way, but it it even opened my mind even nine years into producing this show yeah. of like what it means to be scrappy and like just pump out information at the speed of light. Like I was like, wait, you, what are you talking about? Four minutes? We just talked about this four minutes ago. It's already it's already online. Got to got to throw it up, right? Yeah, we have this uh, we have this uh, this w these two words that we say and we call it production debt. And what we our our whole goal on anything is to limit the production debt that we have to that we have to executing something to the end user, right? So whether that be a podcast or a live stream or covering an event, so how do we minimize the production debt necessary to get this live? So how do we record for the edit? How do we how do we press right. press go on on record and and five minutes later it's a podcast? So right. all of that. Like we have to grab the right team members to make sure that our production debt is as close to zero as possible. Because, I mean, we're living in a world where everybody's TikToking the thing they did five seconds ago, and so if you're in any sort of making media and you're talking about five minutes, you're behind, right? I I don't know why, as you were saying that, I was hearing the voice of the great Don LaFontaine, who did pretty much every movie trailer, and you're like, because you said. In a world where everyone is tick-tocking five <laughs> minutes ago, 
<laughs> one man, one team, zero production debt. Zero you know? production debt. Yes. <laughs> I love that. It makes so much sense. And it it's amazing, you know, and I, I guess the reason I bring that up in that context is it, it was it's amazing what happens when we can be a little bit vulnerable and realize that what we've learned should not limit our ability to move forward and learn into the future. So here I am, Tim Zion, Paul, like I'm watching, I'm observing and I'm like, okay, I thought I had this on lock, like on, on my production process. And now all of a sudden I'm seeing dudes with mobile phones rolling around, going from there to Adobe Rush and then from Adobe Rush straight out to Instagram. And I'm like, if I wasn't in the right frame of mind, if I kept myself limited, like I had already figured it out or like my process was better than anybody like, else. But I had to have some red cameras there. <laughs> I needed my 4K this and that and the next thing. And and so it's so enlightening. And I think it's a it's a worthwhile message for this industry to be like, there's there's always more to learn. And when you actually get into the weeds of what that means and execute on it versus thinking you already know it all, magic happens by way of, of accelerated growth. And and so um hats off to you guys. You had a big announcement there. We won't get into it, but I want to key in on something that you said earlier. This is my day job. So at the time you're working in dealership, obviously now you've made the transition out to the service, consultancy, news, broadcasting, like all of these sorts of things. Went to the dark side. Went right. to the dark. I know a lot of people feel this way. Like they're always there. There's this great debate. Oh man, what yeah. do I do? How do I do it? All these sorts of things. What led you from shut your mouth, this is my day job, never talk about this ever again, to making the transition to, uh, just for uh, sake of fewer words, the vendor side. The vendor side, right? Yeah, no, so, I mean, this has come under hot debate in my head, as well as with others, <laughs> and right. especially because what I, initially, what I initially and still have left it for is to build this thing called Contagious Auto, which is really a marketing, training, and consultancy uh, company to to be able to train and equip marketers. Right. And the big, the big thing that I saw over about an eight month, eight month timeline leading up to that was these really, really savvy marketers at mid to large size groups, you know, anywhere between three to 20 stores being incredible at their group, executing at a very high level, understanding data, efficiency, brand, all of that at a very high level but being squeezed so tight because they don't have support from either a team or budget or the executive team. They don't have a seat at the operational table and leaving for the vendor side for the opportunity of growth that they weren't afforded or the opportunity of support that they weren't afforded at the, at the retail side or even work life balance, right? They, they're interfacing with all of these vendors every single day. And right. they're watching everybody sitting at home on Zoom doing the same thing they are with probably less expertise because they are they're siloed. And this person is acquiring all this expertise being required to work extra hours, pull a heavier load because they have a limited scale team. And all of a sudden they're exiting. Right. And so my big desire was to give dealers the perspective of the ROI of not just that person, but a whole team. And what that can do for their dealership, what that can do for their for their brand, because I believe that the the highest executing marketer and marketing team 
actually build a, a, a more sustainable long-term brand, not just for one individual dealership, but for the industry as a whole, because as more people see that as the actual brand, not the perceived brand that I just talked about, but the right. actual brand, the actual what what people are doing in the communities and and how they and how they desire to to have a great customer experience, and franchise retail survives, then the brand survives. Costs per sale go down, it, it, increasing the fly, flywheel of lifetime value of a customer, and and I'm seeing these people leave in droves, and so I was like, we've got to do something about it. We've got to train more of them because when they leave, nobody can replace them. And we've got to train the dealers that that that's an extremely important person in your team and you have to care for them in a unique way, different than maybe a salesperson or a service writer. Yeah, this is tremendous, too. I'm going to get you, know, you better watch it. I'm going to get on some big soapbox out here. No, well, excited. Good, good. Get let me pull it out for you, because. You know, there was a lot of talk at NADA at time of recording this. We're on the heels of NADA. It was last week at time of recording this, um, for those of you listening in the year 2047. Um, there was a lot of talk about the great resignation. Mm. Erica Tiffany, in her presentation, talked about the fact that we should be so proud to work in this industry that when we onboard people or when we're out in public, we should be active, actively promoting that you can build an amazing life within this industry. Yet, to your point, people are exiting in droves, um, which really underscores the importance of topics like culture. I know, um, you know, the great Liza Borches is huge on the culture conversation and can actually map it back to bottom line revenue. Yep. Um, what's your take on that? I mean, what are we seeing as far as great resignation and, and what from from your vantage point now working with several other dealerships and dealer groups, how can we start to what's the first step we can focus or key in on to mitigate this exit? Yeah, well, I think one is just like recognizing with your people what's happening around them. You know, I mean, to 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 see their friend sitting at home making youtube videos and 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 making a bunch of money as a 25 year old or whatever you've got to recognize that that's a reality that they are facing decision making with that right. your your hourly employee that's making you know 12 13 14 15 dollars an hour is staring across the table at someone that just got hired on at target for 24 dollars an hour right <laughs> right don't think that they're not paying attention to that. They are absolutely, your culture has to be so strong that you don't lose those people. Now, right. are we losing a bunch of sales managers outside of the industry? I don't think so. We're losing them maybe to other stores because they're, they're, they're far enough in, but you're losing a lot of those frontline employees or employees that have transferable skills, which right now, probably the employees with the most transferable skills in the dealership to similar paying jobs or higher paying jobs are on either IT operations or marketing, which a lot of times get grouped into one role, right? right. And mm -hmm. so all of a sudden they are squeezed to do three roles into one role and looking outside and going, wait, I can grow, be coached, have opportunities to learn and have a team in another place and I have transferable skills, right? That's why we don't see a lot of sales managers leaving. They have transferable skills, but the outside world looking in doesn't see that. And I, and, and I wanna be very careful. I know that those people have transferable management skills outside of the industry, 
but the outside world doesn't see that. But the outside world does see those transferable skills in IT marketing and operations. It's funny you say that. I've even been looking at my my children in this context where I'm like, and and you know what? God bless my wife. I love her. I'm not saying anything I we don't chuckle about already offline, but she's like an 87-year-old trapped in a 36-year-old body. Because her desire, first of all, to learn tech or any, like, dude, watching her one-thumb text people makes me want to just, like, pluck the phone out of her hand and throw it. You're just like, get the, here's a Nokia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two thumbs required, you know? Um but I think about my children in this context. We're moving into a world like, look at Brian Kramer's about to complete the first transaction in the metaverse. I know you guys have been yep. highlighting that, and he's he's been talking about it. What a time to be alive. But if we want to set up this generation, think of what we can do in our own homes to actually make sure that our children at a very you know baseline level know how to use a computer, can type, can understand yep that there is such a thing as an algorithm and and maybe learn a little bit about it. Like I'm even thinking about nine years into this deal. I have a 12 year old and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to see if I can teach him how to edit podcasts and teach him a little bit about sound production because look, you and I are both sound engineers. When I got my sound engineering degree, I quickly became a statistic. I worked on some albums, got the cool Vancouver, British Columbia, you know, work at mushroom studios and work on that was great. But then here I am in the car industry all these years later, because we don't ever really know what's going to happen. Here I am producing other people's shows and, you know, deploying a skill set in a very small, minute way compared to what we did for music production. But but still, if I can teach my 12 year old, he's going up into the workforce with an actual skill set that any business could utilize. Absolutely. I mean, I, like I think about this, I, uh, people always ask me, did you, did you have a mark, you know, I, cause I did marketing as I was leaving the, the franchise side, right. did you have a marketing degree? Did you do any of that? No, but I recorded an album in college. I created the album art, right? Had to take the photos, write the copy, right. you know, all of that type of stuff starts to lean into those transferable skills. So and I, and I think, and then you think about this with the with the dealers not pigeonholing people into something. Everybody's got a side mm-hmm. hustle. Find out what their side hustle is and utilize it to 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 your advantage as a, as a company, right? Let them keep doing the side hustle, but maybe that person is great with. Uh, man, at Nelson, we had a person on the team that loved to code. That was his thing, right? So we utilize that expertise and just. With with a small portion of his, he was a salesperson. With a small portion of his time, we said, "Hey, look, we need this expertise over here. We don't we don't have a full time position for you, but we can now draw that in." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "But what's cool about that is now, if he loses the sales job, he also loses the ability to kind of get paid for doing something that also mm-hmm. is a side hustle or just a." So look for that, and I think look for that in your people. Give them the access to do some of those things that are quote unquote side hustles as a part of their regular job so that they don't feel ostracized from the rest of life, what they love to do. Yeah. I, oh man. It, integrating the rest of your, like that's really what the dealer playbook is about, dude. This is why I'm like early on. I realized I am so sick of talking about sales strategies or uh, like, you know, yeah. just those things we gravitate towards like this, integrating the rest of your life into the thing you do to, to make, money i was like oh man that that right there kyle seriously like just 
it resonates so deeply with me because guaranteed then what's really cool is I, I'm, I'm imagining this is the case. Then that individual who shows up to quote unquote sell is now thinking about his work in a different way, maybe yes. more excited about it, becomes more efficient at it. And, but it also gets him thinking about, you know, it'd be a cool solution over here. Maybe I could code this little thing that would improve that. And, well, know. and what happens is when you give people the access to start thinking a little freely or thinking in the way that it, they're most creative, because everybody's creative. Every, I, I said this in a, uh, in a Tampa digital dealer workshop last year. I said, if you think you're not creative, you're lying to yourself um, because like you wake up every day and put clothes on right? You're creating something. Your brain is creating something mm. all the time. Right. And so just leveraging the place where they are the most creative or the most engaged into what they're currently doing, it actually opens up that they become more free in the other elements where, where you might've locked them into a process that they felt stuck in. They all of a sudden are free to think again and their brain is kind of, it's like spark something. Whoa, I, I didn't realize that was happening. Right. Right. Actually, this is really interesting. Speaking of a sodum, we have a new employee that's a producer for us. And uh, he went to school for media and said in his in his schooling, if I ever go work for a news station, I know that's the place where media people go to die. Right. And what did he do right after college? He went to a news <laughs> station. Right. Naturally. Well, right. it's interesting because he also has a YouTube channel dedicated to Legos not 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 just dedicated to Legos so much so that he worked for Lego and almost was on their like Lego the the show that highlighted people that do Legos really? right yeah it's just Hold crazy on. I got, what's his name I gotta look this guy up real time Isaac Donath sorry he's now out there in the world but he's got a whole YouTube channel he's got these you know bunch of guys that just talk it's crazy well we didn't know all this and this is what happens. <laughs> Literally. And we make fun of him. So he knows this. If he, if he ever listens to this, he comes to his interview with us. It's a video interview. He's got a suit and tie on. I get it. You're coming to an interview. Right. This guy is shaking. Not kidding you. Shaking. <laughs> and like, yeah, I've got some like I've got some switcher capacity and I've done this at the news station and this at the news station. We find out a week later he has a YouTube channel. We get him back on the phone and we're like, First of all, scrap the suit and tie when you come to the second interview for us real quick, okay? And do it with the Legos in the background. Cool? He's like, uh, yeah, fine. We bring him on. We're like, so what do you use for YouTube? Oh, StreamYard. It's amazing. What do you do for that? All of a sudden, he's like, yeah, my buddy's a TikTok star. He does this. He tells me this. We're like, wait a second. That's the guy we need. So wow. all of a sudden, then he starts feeding us back all these crazy ideas we're like, this is, this is the person that we need over here plugged in. But he had this like job level mentality that uh -huh. said, I need to be buttoned up and have right. all this job experience. So trans translate that to the dealership or whatever company you have. Someone's listening to this. Go access that in your people because so many people have that. They just don't think they're allowed to bring it in. Mm. What's the... What's the holdup or the reservation, perhaps, from a leadership level? Like, why aren't we thinking this way, in your opinion? 
I think some of it is just fear. It's just straight up fear. Mm. It's if, if I let them get a little bit of taste of that again, then they're going to leave to go do it full time or, or okay. whatever. Right. Or they or someone's going to pluck them up because they right. see that expertise. One, if, if they leave to go do that or that someone plucks them up, celebrate that first of all, but two, probably the reality is, is they're not going to go do that because now they're fulfilled in doing those things. Right. And yeah. So I think, I think that that's the reality. I mean, to, to be, to be just like super blunt and honest. Yeah. That's part of the reason why I'm on the vendor side because you know, the desire to speak and the desire to, to lead our industry was just not able to be fully fulfilled within the dealership world. Right. Right. Could it have ever been? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And, and so sometimes that person has to leave, but sometimes you give them the access to that. And all of a sudden they, they, they have no desire to leave because they're getting fulfilled in multiple ways. Right. Yeah. So I think there's 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 something too, though, that if I could interject this, what the reason it works though, and it's not just like you straight up leaving, like you have this vision to impact that's predicated upon you being able to reach more. So you yes. you have all this proof from where the rubber meets the road and now predicated on that proof, you you say, but I wanna reach more dealerships. I've made an imprint here. Yep, which was, you know what that, I mean? so, that was my thing. It was like, yes, I've done what I can here. I, I like this has to get out further. And if I continue to do this, I can't do this stuff. And that was just where I was at, like my, my, <laughs> I, I tell this story, my, uh, my wife said, I said, I don't, I don't need to be the guy. And my wife said to me, she said the most prophetic words to me. She said, no, you, you do, you have to be the guy. And I was like, that feels weird. She goes, no, that's, that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes right. there needs to be someone that stands up and says the thing. Right. And you just have to be that. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's. That, it took me like three days to wrap that around my brain because it felt super prideful and still even sometimes does. And I have to watch that. But at yeah. the same time, it's like whatever, whatever someone's called to, whatever someone needs to be, that might be at your company or it might be doing something else. That's important. I so. love this concept of, of having a purpose, though, and or like you said, being called to do something. We don't need to be all like, oh, I'm Jesus and I need 12 disciples level of calling here. But I believe that each of us are on this planet to enrich and enhance, to bring light to darkness. Each of Mm. us human beings, you know, and and I know it like, look, dude, I'm I'm pushing 40 this year and I'm just settling into this thought of what you just said of like, oh, there's some there are things that I am naturally good at and i can use those things for good yes i don't need to be egotistical or egomaniacal about it but i just naturally know like i know i'm natural with like like you were saying earlier art and creativity and design and music and well how can i use those to help enrich and enhance the life of somebody else and so you know i think it's it's tremendous and we need people like our wives to say those things to us to to because they see our they can see our greatness in a way that we can't of ourselves but that uh, and you are then kidding. becomes the, the what we're meant to do is help up 
that's what I see a Soto is doing. That's what I see you doing. That's what I hope I'm contributing to is helping others see that the the greatness that is inherent. Like you just had a a, a new new baby. Congratulations to that. Yes, first thanks. and foremost. I, this is really weird. Okay, but this is there's follow me down this wormhole for ten I'm seconds. Here. I'm ready. I have a sister who's in the healthcare profession. One day I was driving home and I had this thought. You know the 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 phrase of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Why do they call? Why do they reference that during the birthing process? And it's literally reference to baby passing through, and the mortality rate being so high, and how much trauma there is on mother. But also, it got me thinking. I'm like, well, th- this must be traumatic for baby as well. Mm, so yeah. I I asked my sister. I said. I said, Amy, I'm going somewhere with this. Just follow me. Like I just said to you, (laughs) it's traumatic on mother. We know that. And not to diminish that at all. That's not the intention here. But is it also traumatic on baby? And she says it's life threateningly traumatic. And I said, so you mean to tell me this is where my brain immediately went, Kyle. You mean to tell me that my first experience in life was passing through an in- intense, insane trial and rising victorious. Bingo. Track, track with me here real quick. I'm going to yeah. give you one better okay. because that yeah, let's literally go. happened <laughs> on Saturday. Right. So my wife, we, uh, we, she was laboring for, I don't know, I think 13 or 14 hours, fairly slowly coming along. Mm-hmm. Well, it came time to have baby and uh, about, two minutes into pushing the, the, the ready to have baby time. Mm-hmm. The doctor looks at my wife and says, do you hear that beep? That's the baby's heart rate dropping. We need to get baby out. Whoa. And, Oh, this is the first time I got a little emotional about that. And it, in that moment, there was a massive amount of trauma for my wife. Right. But a trauma that she was able to assess report on through her brainwaves and accurately push through mm-hmm. to get baby out. Right. But baby was not able to. And actually our, our, on the chart we looked at later, it said that uh, our baby came out as a high risk and she rose triumphantly in under wow. three minutes. She had wow. a, her oxygen level was as low as 40 wow. for three minutes. And then literally the person grabs the oxygen mask and before she's about to put it on, it jumps from 40 to 80 in three seconds. A minute later, she was, they considered her a perfectly healthy baby by all vital signs. Whoa. Yeah. So that was nuts. But to, to, to your point, like it was an extremely traumatic event to right. my daughter. And I love that you put it that way. And I'm excited that I, I feel like there's a, there's a tie into this, but I had to give like a real world example of that is actually a reality that because that labor was so intense, my baby's heart rate dropped so significantly that when she came out, she was still recovering from the trauma. I don't believe in coincidences. There is a tie in, but I want to just say this on the, on the back of that. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in divine design. Mm. I didn't know. Up until two days ago, I didn't know you and I were going to have this conversation. I didn't right. know that the conversation was going to go in this direction, nor did you. 
and I certainly didn't know that you had that experience, and yet somehow here we are bring it, using this as an analogy. And really, I guess what I want to say is, tie, here's the tie-in. This is a people business. Mm. And the sooner we can stop looking at our people as an expense and see them as the true investment that they are, if we could just recognize that the only reason each of us are on this planet is because we are victors, not victims, that we are great, inherently born great, designed to overcome and to be big and to expand. How does that shift the way as a leader of an organization? I see the people. They're not my people. They are their own person who have made a choice to be here. Yep. Boy, does that. And they are they, not just that, but they are uniquely designed, mm. equipped and positioned for the time and place that they are currently at with you under your care. Yeah. Uniquely designed. Wow. Even even the worst employee, the one where you're like, that employee doesn't get it, they don't understand, they can't execute. That person is actually uniquely designed for your organization right now, in that time and place, for however long they're with you, to do exactly what they need to do for you and for others around them. That's how that's how mm. unique it is. Mm. Dude. Um and and when I think of it in that context, there are certain words that come to my mind to describe people. And it's not Susie in marketing. Mm. It's not I am a technologist. It is the words that come to my mind is you already use one of them, unique precious, tender, powerful. Like we are so much more than what we do for a living, but if we can deploy who we really are and the passions, and you mentioned the word fulfillment, I love that word. If we can create an environment by which fulfillment and happiness can exist, we don't need to talk about the car business anymore. We talk about people who happen to do the car business. Yes. And it's it's a vastly different conversation. That was, for me, that was an undertone to NADA. There was a lot of talk of the great resignation and how do we find, retain, and help grow our talent. Um, you, were, you were in the control room, <laughs> right? Everybody was yes. mad, by the way. They're like, you're not Kyle. Yeah. Uh, so context for those listening, Kyle... <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, Kyle and his wife brought in an, a new baby to the world. And so he said, Hey man, can you, can you go and grab the mic and, and help us out with some live streams? I, and I Crushed. said, I, I'd love to. So I jumped at that, but I, I was, I had Kyle's badge on his press pass <laughs> and people were not happy that I was not Kyle. Let's just say that. Um, but that was kind of the undertone, but you were there in the control room, obviously seeing and hearing everything as it's happening. What were some of your, did you pick up on that same kind of people focus at the NADA? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what I, what I loved is that it seemed like every press release that happened was like blank partnered with blank. 
Right. Right. It wasn't like blank created new thing. It was blank partnered mm. with blank company yep. X partnered with company Y, whether that be dealership or other company. And I think that that's indicative of that undertone, right? That if, if more people are partnering together, it means they're seeing others as the value that they bring to their company, their customers. And so I think the collaboration aspect of what I was able to see on this side, not being physically there was indicative of the tone that the industry is carrying right now that it's, I mean, it's when dealers band together, no crisis can win. It's the tone of like, there's our, there's disruptors, there's barbarians at the gate. If we don't get it right, then we're all going to lose. So let's, why we, we'd rather do this together for a long time than separate for a little bit of time. Right. And so I think that's why where the hell human element is really, really palpable right now. I love it, man. I love talking to you. I love what you're doing. You and Paul are creating over at asodu.com. Definitely people need to check that out. But how else can those listening or watching learn more about you, get in touch with you? Yeah, I think uh, my LinkedIn is uh, you can you can learn a lot about me. I try and uh, be very, very open with my feelings about the industry, about the world there. So Kyle Mounts here. I'm actually the only one in the world. So if you Google me, you yeah, can do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to not find me. Uh, you can email me at <laughs> Kyle at a so and, and love to have a conversation. with anyone. You just had to throw, you know, I was the only Michael Cirillo before the Internet. <laughs> So the fact that you're still the only Kyle Mounts here after the internet, that's, that's it. That's top, an achievement. Top like six pages on Google. You can find me. So I, 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 always tell, I always tell my wife, I'm like, look, if anyone wants to find me, it's not going to like, I just can't, I just can't piss anyone off too bad is basically what it comes down to. So. I have a funny story, but it's going to go on the, after the call, nobody else gets to hear. Sorry guys. Love you. <laughs> Kyle, man. Thanks so much for joining me on the dealer playbook. Thanks. Cirilla. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.